Okay. Hi, Billy. So um, thank you for joining me today. I am the first host interviewer um, for ELT CPD podcast, and I'm really happy to be here with you today so that we can chat a little bit about you and what you do um, and maybe, you know, your plans for the future. So let's start about, you know, talking about you. So um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Perfect. Yeah, thanks so much um, for agreeing to come on and, and interview. I'm really excited to be the one being interviewed this time. It's <laughs> definitely unusual being on the other side. Um, so my background is I've been at ELT for around 12, 13 years-ish. Um, I first started out uh, as a teacher. Um, my first teaching post was in Italy, actually. I was teaching young learners um, with a lot of singing and dancing, we used to do sort of morning song circles and things like that. It was very theatrical. Um, but yeah, I used to sort of be uh, an actor and a dancer back in the way back in the day. So it sort of molded together well. Um, yeah, so I was teaching lots of different age groups. I worked my way sort of through secondary and then adult and one to one. Um, in different countries, even teaching classes of sort of 70 students in China as well, which was a learning experience. Um, and then I came back to the UK in around 2016, I believe. Um, and I moved to sort of the Cambridge area and I was working at a private language school there. And I did my Delta um, and then I did some teacher training. That's where I sort of got into that. And um, I loved it. So I continued sort of teacher training, teaching and materials writing alongside um, as well. So juggling everything as, as many ELTs do. Um, I got the opportunity to write a sample for um, a publisher. And it was just sort of like a, a workbook, photocopyable activities. And that went, went really well. And more writing work started to come in. So I eventually left teaching and started teacher training and um, freelance materials writing as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's been about four years and I focus mainly on sort of digital um, and assessments. I write a lot of assessments like the Pearson Test of English. Um, the British Council has an exam called English Score um, and also um, for the FCE and the Key for Schools as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I launched the ELT CPD podcast. I can't remember whether it was one or two years ago, but there's been a lot of episodes and some amazing guests on um, and hoping to, to develop that into other things next year. And then earlier this year, I set up Otter ELT, which is a digital content agency, or some people might know it as a packager for publishers and educational institutions. So we basically are a, a one-stop solution um to project manage and do editorial and content work for publishers as well if they don't have sort of the resources in-house to be able to do that mm. well lots of different hats really I guess right <laughs> yeah absolutely I think that's the case with most people in ELT isn't it like everyone wears a lot of different hats so it's very hard to sort of pinpoint your your exact job title so that's why our LinkedIn profiles <laughs> got lots of information on them so true yeah I agree I mean sometimes you you can't answer that question, you know, like, what do you do? Well, exactly. you know, where do I start? So, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what made you get into materials writing initially? I mean, you mentioned how you got into it, but what was your, um, you know, motivation? Why did you decide to do it? That's a really great question. I think I've always had such a passion for writing, taking ELT out of the equation. When I was young, I used to write, I started writing like poetry and things like that. And I had a 
had a poem published I think I was sort of 10 years old in a in a book and I was really proud and I used to write stories and poems and I absolutely loved creative writing um, but I never really knew that that was a possibility of a job really I think when you're young you sort of see say oh I want to be a pop star or a writer but you don't really know how to get there you know um, and then when I was sort of in my teenage years my late teenage years I started traveling a lot um, and later combining that with teaching and I used to have um, an online travel blog website um, and it built up quite a lot like I had guest contributors and things like that and I started making a bit of money from it um, and I just loved it and my dream was always to write for sort of National Geographic in any capacity um, but then the the sort of ELT crept in more than the travel writing so I sort of stopped that um, and yeah, then I realized that I could actually write the materials that I was teaching with, which was a, a revelation. And yeah, when I got the chance to do a sample, I felt very lucky. One of the writers had dropped out of a project and I had a contact at, at Pearson at the time. And um, yeah, they basically said, would you like to do a sample? I was writing a photocopyable book with a colleague of mine at the time. So it was a similar sort of project that they asked me to do the sample for. And I got it. And yeah, that that's sort of where it began. And I wouldn't do anything else now. I absolutely love writing materials. It's it's such a passion of mine. Um, and to see it, whether it's in print or digital or even some of the items that you've written, I think there's no greater feeling, really. It's really, really great to hear that because, you know, as you said, it's not easy to actually get into materials writing. Not because it's not about the context. It's about, you know, you really, really need to have passion for it. It's not something, you know, that you do just because, but exactly. you do it because you really love it and you want to do it. Exactly. So I think it's it's really nice that you call it your passion. Mm -hmm. So um, then you took a leap into freelancing, right? So mm -hmm. how easy or how challenging was it to take that leap into freelancing? Yeah, I think... I think I remember at the time sort of being really torn at when to find that pivotal moment to just stop teaching because it's nerve wracking, you know, as, as lots of people find themselves in this situation where they're trying to juggle essentially two full time jobs. Um, my teaching at the time didn't pay very well. And, and I sort of um, realized that the, the work I was doing for writing was sort of topping my income essentially and I think that was the point where I realized like I either have to do this full-time or I have to stop it because ultimately I can't keep juggling two, two full-time jobs at once. Um, I never really knew about freelancing, I didn't know any freelancers, I didn't have a network but I went to the Publishing Professionals Away Day in Oxford about uh, four years ago, just before I went freelance. And I was sort of taking information from everybody. I remember Sue Kay, um, the famous Sue Kay. Um, I, I went up to her and I asked her sort of for, for as much information as I could. I didn't know about IA TEFL, for example. I didn't know about the materials writing special interest group. And I just tried to absorb as much information as I could, really like a sponge and I found my notebook the other day that I'd written everything down and it's 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 intimidating networking, but it's something that you really have to do in order to just take that leap into to freelancing because it's all about building a brand essentially around yourself, which sounds really difficult because especially if you're sort of introverted as as I think most of us are in ELT, but we sort of become that extrovert teacher, which is like acting, isn't it, away? Um, 
so yeah I think networking was was sort of one of the really important things that I needed early on and that's luckily continued throughout and just building connections as well because you might speak to someone and they might say oh well I know I know they're looking for this person in this company who needs to do this job or something so just meeting people and, and knowing when that moment is to take that leap as well financially as well as as um, mentally if you can you can sort of do that as well yeah yeah I agree because um as you said teaching doesn't pay very well so I think that lots of us um actually moved into a different direction just because of that right because we couldn't handle juggling so many um things at the same time so we kind of had to make that decision right mm-hmm. what do I do should I stop teaching and then do something completely different or just move into a different ELT area. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree that um, when it comes to freelancing, networking is the key, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you mentioned um, MOSIC, Materials Writing Special Interest Group, because um, you know that's my IATEFL family. That's where I kind of started and that's how I got interested in materials writing as well. So it's really nice to, to um, you know, go to their events or any event that is connected to uh, writing materials for ALT. And is that, so, did yeah. you get into the MORSIG group and then you went freelance? Is, is that sort of the route that you took? Well, um, I think that, yeah, I think that for me, the whole, you know, thinking about freelancing started when I actually joined MOSIG because mm-hmm. that's when I kind of started learning uh, more about um, materials writing and networking and what I need to do and how to do it, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I actually am not a full-time freelancer mm-hmm. because freelancer because I still teach every mm-hmm. day. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, I'm still juggling um, yeah. those two things. But I think that um, freelancing is not as easy as some people might think. So it's nice to kind of be able to talk to someone uh, who's already a freelancer. So that brings me to my next question. So do you have any tips, you know, for those um, who maybe want to move into the freelancing world? Yeah. What would you say? Definitely. I think as we touched on just networking, making connections and also finding like a resource, whether that's a person or a group of people that you can just bounce ideas off. Um, I think when it comes to sort of talking about fees and money, like especially if you're coming from the teaching perspective and you haven't worked in-house at a publisher, you often don't know sort of what to expect to get paid for a project so if you have someone that you feel comfortable saying, well, I've been offered this amount, does this seem okay for the for the sort of project and the size of the work and the time? I think that's really crucial because if not, you have sort of nothing to go off except some of the guidance on sites like Publishing Professionals and CIEP. Mm-hmm. Um, so a resource is really important and networking. I would also say like LinkedIn as another form of networking or any sort of social media. I think Instagram sort of coming up a little bit more in ELT. Um, I don't tend to use Facebook, but LinkedIn and Instagram definitely are great for networking. And just, as I said, sort of building a brand around you and your your niche. Um, if you can sort of put yourself as a, as a subject matter expert, whether that's with um, diversity and inclusion, special educational needs, things like that, 
Um, for me, I would say that's assessment. Um, assessment is is what I love. Um, so yeah, when I do sort of teacher training and and um, a lot of writing, it is mostly around assessment. So finding your lane, but not being afraid to try different things mm-hmm. early on in your career, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, I wrote a, a teacher's book for primary, which I'd never done before. And it was a really enjoyable experience. And I loved using my creativity in a different way. But I just know that sort of assessments and my black and white answers were more my my um, path, really. But yeah, I think I think touching on what you said, joining something like Morsig is is wonderful. Um, recently, I organised an event here in Edinburgh, where I live, um, for the Morsig group, just just to meet with other Scottish freelancers, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the events are sort of in in similar places around the world. So I thought, let's try somewhere new. Um, and I met lots of people that I'm now regularly in contact with, um, all because of the the Morsig meet as well. So 100% networking. Um, and I think that also goes with sort of maintaining work and, and not being afraid to sort of say no to a project if it doesn't seem right for you and not just saying yes to everything that comes as, as we often do early on in our careers as freelancers. I think thinking about what it's going to do to you mentally if you sit there for 12, 15 hours a day, like I have done in the past at all hours, just sitting there sort of rushing to get this deadline, you know, and you learn from these experiences and and you know, maybe not to take something on like that again, um, that that's not beneficial to you. So just thinking about it from both perspectives, you know, is it good for me, but will it also um, further my career too? Yeah. Yeah, One thing that I like about this material writing I don't know groups or you know freelancers um, etc is that there's a lot of support and you can always ask someone you know about anything that you're not really sure about you know how to go about you know negotiating fees or deadlines so I think it's such a supportive community and that's uh, you know I think that's the most important thing for a freelancer to have a supportive community Definitely. So someone um, you can actually rely on, uh, yeah, ask for advice, ask for help. Yeah, you know? I think ELT is very different in that respect to a lot of other industries because the community is very supportive, as you said. People are willing to lift others up. If someone releases a course, we're willing to go on it and learn from each other as well. It's not, although we might be working in different areas, say I'm in assessment and someone else is in primary that's a good thing because we sort of lift each other up and we support each other. But even if you're working in the same lane, I still find that people lift each other up and and are willing to promote each other. Um, And that's, that's really come through on the podcast as well. People are willing to share their expertise and their um, networks that they're using and their online resources as well. So yeah, it's really excellent. And another thing I would say is teaching, like you said, freelancing doesn't have to be your only hat that you wear you know I think it's really important not to lose sight of who you're creating these materials for um, and whether that's teaching once a week whether that's teaching once a month or even if it's one class a day online or face-to-face that's I think that's really crucial Um, I'm volunteering teaching at the moment I've been doing it for sort of the last eight months um, with a guy who was um in Guantanamo Bay for 21 years and so he's had a a very traumatic last couple of decades and so it's a learning experience for me as well because I'm learning how to teach in a different way for a different kind of student who's had sort of a traumatic experience in the past so 
Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I think just keeping keeping up to date with sort of students and, and what's going on in, in terms of teaching mm. is really important to be a friend. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's plenty of learning, right? Yeah. Uh, in that freelancing process, because you learn from other materials writers, but you also learn, for example, from your students, right? Like exactly. what you're doing right now, you're learning from your um, student about something that you haven't had any experience with so that's that's great yeah Yeah. so you also mentioned that you do a lot of teacher training so um what do you mainly focus on in in these teacher training sessions yeah so I absolutely love teacher training it's it's something that I really as much as materials writing feel really passionate about um I I really speak about sort of assessments a lot um, and also just how to create engaging exam classes, because I think there's a a tendency to sort of, especially with like the first certificate, for example, or any of the Cambridge suite of exams for people to just practice the exams, the time management, the task types and things like that. Whereas you can practice exam skills in an engaging way with games, with different activities. It doesn't need to be sort of that heads down approach all the time. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about sort of bringing dynamism into different exam classes. Um, So I do a lot of teacher training on that um, and also a lot of the um, sort of uh, materials that I've written for as well. So I was recently in Peru talking about um, the primary book that I sort of mentioned because that's just been released even though I worked on it many, many moons ago, maybe three or four years ago. Um, yeah, so a lot of product launches, product talks, and yeah, just just talking about how to, to be engaging in assessments, essentially, that's where my main focus is. Yeah, well, that's, that's good to hear because, you know, as a teacher who prepares students for exams, I know how difficult it can be to kind of get them, you know, excited about exactly. all these different uh, things connected to uh, different exams. Um, so yeah, I think it would be good even for me to go to one of your teacher training <laughs> sessions and, and learn how to make my students happy, you know, <laughs> while <laughs> getting ready for an exam. Okay, yeah. and I, um, I know that you love uh, podcasting, right? That's why you started um, EOT uh, CPD podcast. So what have you learned during the last couple of years of doing it of podcasting Mm -hmm. yeah that's such an interesting question I think when I first started a podcast I'm going to be the first one to admit that I'd never listened to a podcast before um I didn't really know what it was about I didn't know why people were so interested in it but I thought I had ELT CPD floating around in my in my head for a while and I just didn't know what to do with it so I thought shall I create a course shall I shall I do some online teacher training and then I thought like we mentioned the network I think discussing issues and discussing different themes and topics with people who work in ELT was the way that that was going to that I wanted to go essentially and was going to be successful so I realized podcasting was a was a really good way to do that because it's another form of teacher training it's accessible to everyone who has an internet connection Um, and I just wanted it to be something that everyone could learn from whether you're in my specific network, the speaker specific network, or whether whether you're not, you know, it's sort of spread far and wide now. We've had nearly 10,000 downloads in, in this year. So it's it's completely taken off. And I think that's because of the expert guests that we've had on that have been able to share their expertise, 
because of the different topics we've talked about and the fact we've had them in mini series as well. So they appeal to different sort of people. Um, and just, yeah, I think, I think I've learned a lot, um, not only the technical side of things about sort of editing and having a backup recording because I have lost episodes in the past, um, but also now just sort of taking this forward and knowing what it can be. Um, so in the next year or so, we've got some exciting things coming up. And the first one is, um, of course, having video so we can actually see the speakers talking. Uh, but yeah, just just doing some some further training going forward. And yeah, thank you to everyone who's been on, including yourself, who is a wonderful <laughs> guest, um, just sharing expertise. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, your podcast was my first podcast you know as a guest so and it it is kind of scary I think you know when you think about that you know oh god what am I going to say you know lots of people will be listening to me but then you kind of forget that it's being recorded and you just you know keep chatting so um yeah and I I love your podcast because as you said you've had so many uh guests from you know, that talk about different areas of ELT and um, you can learn actually a lot from these episodes, you know. Uh, So I think that you've been doing an amazing job. So you mentioned that you have some plans, right? Yeah. Uh, For the next year. So can you tell us something about your plans? Can you reveal anything? (laughs) Still in the work, still in the brainstorming phase. Um, But yeah, I'm hoping to do, um, to combine sort of my teacher training and guests teacher training expertise that have been on and sort of combining it, whether that goes down the route of a course, whether that goes down the route of sessions um, and just building it into more of a CPD platform other than the podcasts. Um, Definitely there will be a focus on conferences and a lot of the conference talks that are coming up. Um, But yeah, I think, I think now there's enough sort of um, traction behind it and a lot of interest in it that now we have, um, the ability to grow and, and to grow it into more of a CPD platform, but still doing the free podcast for everyone. Um, so one of the most popular series that we had was um, about going from teaching into publishing, um, whether that's materials writing, editing, um, project management. And I think it was Harry Waters episode that um, had actually the most downloads. And so that's really interesting because I think there's sort of a gap there for for teachers going into materials writing, not necessarily the training side of things, but just just things that I wish I had known when I'd started. Um, So, yeah, hopefully going forward, there will be lots more CPD. Um, So that's the next plan for next year. (laughs) Well, I hope you do, um, you know, an episode like, um, for example, during the um, upcoming IATEFL conference. Uh, in Harrogate in April because I know you right you're coming yes absolutely yeah good (laughs) yeah as as one half of Otter ELT we're speaking about digital materials um as part of the Morsig showcase so yeah it'll be really exciting and my hope for that is to take the video further so Mm -hmm. um perhaps at the conferences I'll I'll sort of be recording and interviewing experts on the spot (laughs) so that would be great yeah (laughs) I think that would be great yeah I'll have to come um, and find you, definitely. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll be around, you know, I have to be there. So exactly. uh, Yeah, we'll find time to chat. Yeah. So, um, Billy, thank you so much um, for um, doing this interview with me. And thank you for inviting me to actually host it. 
Um, and, um, you know, I've never been in this role before, so it's a new experience for me. Thank you for that. And um, I hope we get a chance to do something like this again in the future. And I look forward to seeing you um, at the ITAFL conference next year. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being a guest interviewer. It's um, been wonderful. And yeah, definitely hope to see you at IATFL and, and uh, have, a, have a live interview with you in person. That would be really <laughs> yeah. great. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Billy.